0: Thank you for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing the EQ abdomen. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals or NHS Trust. Other Trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello listeners, uh,
1: Jamie here, one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Hi there, it's uh, Riyadh. I'm one of the new registrars at uh, uh, QMC. And in a former life, you used to be a surgeon, is that right, Riyad? In a very distant past life, yes, I used to do. I was a cardiothoracic surgeon for a few years, but um, I'm quite enjoying my emergency medicine experience now. Excellent. So
0: Riyad is here to provide a little bit of Caribbean vibe to an otherwise frozen November morning. Thank you very much for coming uh, this morning, Riyad. Yeah, man. <laughs> and we're here to talk about uh, the acute abdomen. Um, a very sort of vague uh, uh, symptom and we're gonna try and do a very generalized overview of it rather than going into too much detail. Um, An incredibly common presentation in A&E, Riyad, I think most days we will see at least one
1: patient who comes in with abdominal pain, that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much so, about um, 35 to 40% of patients um, with with an abdominal pathology would turn up to A&E um, and um, some of them we don't actually have a diagnosis when they leave us.
0: Mm. And so it's a, it's a presentation as well that
1: varies all the way from I'm not entirely
0: sure what's going on here, all the way to you need urgent surgery mm-hmm. within a few hours.
1: Absolutely, and those are the the ones that we tend not to know the diagnosis um, for. Those are the ones that are actually quite um, could be quite tricky especially Mm. when we need to get our surgical colleagues to have a look at them Mm. and to get imaging from our radiology colleagues.
0: Mm. Okay, so we'll talk a bit about that in a little while. Uh, I suppose, first things first,
1: um, what is an acute abdomen? Hmm. Well, um, it depends on which textbook you read, uh, Jamie, but um, I would... uh, probably men say that uh, an acute abdomen represents uh, a sort of rapid onset of uh, severe symptoms which may indicate a sort of life threatening um, intra abdominal event yeah so a rapid onset sort of abdominal
0: pain yeah basically.
1: within the, within the, uh, well realms of 48 72 hours i would say mm. Mm. so you've had a, a short period days
0: maximum period of abdominal pain
1: yeah this is not the patient who comes in after a six month history of vague abdominal pain this mm -hmm. is you know Mm -hmm. um, quite acute onset Mm -hmm.
0: i suppose the the difficulty then is establishing is this a medical cause for the pain is it a surgical cause for the pain so say you're on the shop floor yeah, uh, you've just clicked on a patient, and all it says is acute abdomen or abdominal pain mm-hmm. as the clerking. Absolutely. What's going through your mind as you're sort of going towards that patient and you're you're having a look at them? What 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 are you going to do?
1: Well, uh, as most ED physicians, we sort of have a differential just based on the presenting complaint, and we will yeah. sort of backwards from mm. ruling out certain causes and what i would do i would rule out life threatening causes first mm. and make sure the patient is not going to you know die imminently or, or within the next 10-15 minutes and if they are how are we going to stop that mm. and then once we've sort of uh, resuscitated them a bit i think we'll talk about that a bit later on we then go through the oh, what is the actual pathology we're dealing with. Mm. I think, so first and foremost, as we would always say, ABCs first, mm. uh, resuscitate, and then uh, try to figure out um, why this patient's in pain. I think what, what would be in our mind would be, I like to call it the intra-abdominal causes and the extra-abdominal causes, is mm. uh, what I would like to break it down in, before I actually go and see the patient. and. A little trick, because um, when I was doing surgery, um, we could only retain three things, couldn't we? So, the the intra-abdominal things would be three G's, would be gastrointestinal, Mm -hmm. genital urinary, or gynae. Right, and then we have uh, the extra-abdominal causes. So, cardiovascularly, you could think of uh, uh, inferior MI, myocarditis, Uh, respiratory, you could think of various respiratory complications such as a pe um pneumothorax with referred pain that could give you uh pneumonias basal pneumonias they could give you referred intra-abdominal pain um metabolic causes such as uh porphyria as well as uh or ever popular dk the acidotic with a high ketone with a high bm
0: Mm. So DK is a very important
1: differential in the EQ outcome, Absolutely, isn't it? Jamie. Absolutely. And those w- those would be my sort of top differential non abdominal well, medical causes. Mm. Okay. Mm. So how are we going to tell the difference
0: between a medical abdomen and a surgical abdomen?
1: Oh, well that's a magic question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, um, sometimes it can be very difficult and why diagnoses tend to be difficult is that we, we have a l- completely large cohort of patients we see pediatrics we see adults we see um, women of childbearing age we see women who are pregnant we have immunocompromised patients and all those patients throw out different challenges to mm. to really um decide if this is a surgical you know if the surgeon needs, needs to use his knife or not mm. so and it's it's not helped really the,
0: the, the biology the nature of, uh, of um, how pain is sensed in the abdomen as well can be quite vague as well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not always particularly precise yeah by, by, by the way of embryology which that, we won't that, that's go into
1: ca- that's casting me back a bit Jamie <laughs> which we won't go into today if you're talking about visceral and parietal mm, pain yeah mm. yeah, absolutely so the theory is that um, uh, holid, uh, hollow organ systems tend to be more visceral in nature mm. whereas if you've breached your visceral peritoneum and you are you know, impinging on a parietal peritoneum that tends to localise the pain much more to Mm. a particular area, Mm. which is quite common with your classic history of um, appendicitis, where you get a vague abdominal pain periomboleically, which then radiates to your right iliac fossa.
0: Mm. So, um, first things first always, is the codes with the history.
1: Yeah. So, what are you going to ask? Uh, Well, this is for um, guys in the resuscitation room. This will be after A, B, C, D. Absolutely. So,
0: we'll say our patient is hemodynamically stable, so yep. OBS are within normal limits. Yep. Okay, absolutely. we have time to take mm-hmm. a history. Yeah, yeah. Okay? absolutely. So. so, what are you going to
1: ask? So, um, there are many acronyms out there. I tend to use Socrates, other acronyms are available. <laughs> uh, and uh, should we go into that a bit more? So yeah, go
0: in, just go take our Socrates history. Yeah.
1: So, S uh, is for. Um, um, sight, where did the pain begin? Uh, onset, was it a acute onset? Was it more gradual onset? Um, uh, character, no, character's a bit weir- a weird one because especially with the cohort of patients, they can't always describe the nature mm. of that pain. Mm. Is it, sh- so we tend to put words in our patient's mouth from time to time. Is it sharp, is it dull, is it achy? Mm. Um, uh, that's C. Uh, R is for radiation, which is, um, which is a quite a, a, another t- spoke in the wheel, really, because um, you could get something like curse sign, where you get shoulder tip pain from uh, peritoneal irritation, as in your ruptured ectopic pregnancy or intra-abdominal in intra- catastrophe. You could get pains radiated to the back, like in a, a, a ruptured uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm. You could get pain going into the testicles, like um, uh, renal colic patients. Um, So where were we? Are is associated symptoms like uh, you have specifically related to the tummy would be things like vomiting, um, uh, hematemesis, coffee grounds, um, abdominal distension, PR bleeding, bleeding. Or, or hematokesia, <laughs> <laughs> for those who want to be a bit pedantic. Anyway, uh, PR bleeding, um, uh, flip, passing wind, fetus, and absolute absolute constipation would be sort of the things you'd ask in your history. Um, the timing: was it acute onset? Was it more gradual? Is it. How long does the pain last for does it come and go does it ever go away exacerbating factors would be things like um, You know movement coughing um, You know um, uh, Taking any medication makes it worse or relieving the pain like your NSAIDs Might make it worse you might have an ulcer And severity how <laughs> now that's quite a subjective thing mm. and uh You know, one person might say 1 out of 10. Somebody else might say 10 out of 10. And this is obviously patients who verbalize. Mm. So we get more to the extremes of age. And those patients might not be able to do that. So that's basically history. And uh, apart from that, obviously, a past medical, are the diabetic, hypertensive, and the drugs that they're on, which we will come to in a minute as well, Mm. which might, you know, change their physio physiology mm. um and allergies so that's that's more or less your history
0: so as well as all of that you, we need to take the gynae history as well
1: yeah so um i was taught uh, by a wonderful um professor called sam who's no longer with us um and he taught us um, to take a quite a good gynae history and summarize it within five minutes, really. So, nap leg, name, age, parity, last menstrual period, expected date of uh, delivery, and gestational age. Very good. And apart from that, what you'd like is the four Ds. Which are? Discharge, mm-hmm. dyspareunia, mm-hmm. dysmenoria, mm-hmm. and... Syria, Lots of disses there. Yeah. The four disses.
0: Yeah. Excellent. So you'd ask that of any, any young lady with abdominal <coughs> pain.
1: Yeah, and then you ask about their bleeding. Mm. So, menarche, coitarche, inter- intermenstrual bleeding, and uh, postcoital coital bleeding. Mm. And I didn't even write that down, <laughs> did I, Jimmy?
0: No, you didn't. What's coitarche?
1: It's the first time they had inter- and then obviously you'll ask particularly uh, gynae past medical history, so any history of PID, intrauterine devices, are they on a the pill? And your mm-hmm. obstetric history would be, you know, any miscarriages, any abortions, even though they might mean the same thing to us, it might not mean the same thing to the patient. Mm. And obviously... Um, you need to get, uh, it's get, it gets quite tricky when there are multiple gest- gestations in the same uh, pregnancy, so twins. That could be quite um, complicated. So you're
0: taking your history?
1: Yeah. Then what are you going to do? Well, we examine the patient, Jamie.
0: Okay, and what are you looking for?
1: So we'll get his, um, his or her vital signs, so blood pressure pulse, respiratory rate, SATs, so you probably want to hook him up on a monitor to make sure that um, it's continuous monitoring. Uh, on general in- inspection, you'd probably want to look at how, how well built he or she is. Are they? Uh, is there a history of weight loss? Are they quite thin? Are they quite obese? Um, and you're looking for signs or stigma of other diseases, so clubbing, which might be a sign of liver disease or lung disease or heart disease uh jaundice uh, weight loss stigmata of liver disease like your cup of medusa um, you know um, spider nevi those those general things you'd probably be looking at the cues uh especially medical students especially for your exam that's pretty pretty important to get a bonus mark if you see those things uh, but with respect to the abdomen, I think there are a couple of things which I look out for in a person with an acute abdomen. Mm. So on general inspection of the abdomen, is he, is this he or she? Are they actually moving around? Are they quite still? Somebody who's quite still and doesn't want to move suggests something catastrophic's going on, going on, and he's got. Uh, he or she's got some form of peritoneal irritation. Mm. So um,
0: then you might be thinking, there's a perforation, there's bowel possibly, contents, infection. Possibly. Something has yeah, gone off in yeah, the tummy yeah, that is irritating the peritoneum. Yeah. And if you move any little bit, yeah, you get absolutely. pain.
1: Absolutely. Okay, we'll we'll get just get into that. But the the, the other the flip side to that is that you might have a guy who's actually rolling around in pain. You might. Some people might think think he's uh, he or she's putting it on, but. Uh, they just can't get comfortable, and that's a classic sign of uh, renal calculi as well. Mm. So those are two extremes, both uh, I would consider uh, acute abdomens. Mm. You didn't see me, but I actually put my fingers up and said acute abdomens there. He did. Yeah. Right. So, um, but let's just go into a bit more on the examination for, let's say, um, a perforation or something like that. So. I do have some tricks up my sleeve. The other sign is I get them on listening to their chest with my stethoscope, ask them to cough. Mm. I'm not actually listening to their chest. I'm looking to see if they wince in pain. That's mm. quite a nice subtle sign as well, which I tend to use for peritoneal irritation. There are a couple of other ones such as, I think all medical students know the Rovsing sign where you press on one side of the tummy, well, they lack the, iliac fossa and the cotton pain on the right side, mm. particularly for appendicitis, yes. or Meckel's diverticulitis.
0: Mm-hmm. So pressing on the left iliac fossa makes the pain worse in the right iliac fossa.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: And then they are Rob Singh's positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's a cough test which we mentioned. There's another one described by Gray and colleagues, the closed eye sign, which I've only found out yesterday. So
0: Is that Gray as in Gray Turner's? No. A, a Is that prob- a different grey?
1: Might be. Okay. It's described in, I'll tell you the reference. 1988, Grey, Dixon, and Colin, closed eye sign. Mm. So what they do, they ask the patient to close their eyes, and you press on their tummy. People who are peritonitic would open their eyes when you press on the spot that's very sober, it's a sort of 79% success rate on that one. Mm. Watch that space. I might okay. be using that l- later on. There's also things like your Murphy sign,
0: mm-hmm.
1: particularly in cholecystitis, where you ask them to take, take a deep breath and they hold their breath in mid inspiration because you've tickled their gallbladder.
0: So yeah you uh you pre- as you ask patient to take a deep breath and as they're inspi- uh, mid inspiration you press on their right upper quadrant and you uh you uh, cause a, a stoppage a cessation of the inspiration because of the pain but then you do it on the left upper quadrant and it's fine so you you need to do the left upper quadrant as well uh and then that's murphy's positive
1: positive. and then um there's this SOAS sign which is a hyperextension extension of the hip mm and that causes irritation along the psoas muscle, and um, is another sort of sign. Especially um, appendices which are retrocecal or, or hidden, tucked in behind the cecum. Mm. Sometimes you don't get the, um, the classic uh, rebound and guarding because it's on the other side. Mm. And then finally there's the obturator sign, Jamie, mm. do you know what that is?
0: No, Riyadh, what's the obturator sign?
1: Well, I think, I believe it's when uh, you elicit that sign when you ask the patient to flex both hips and knees to 90 degrees, and then you passively internally and externally rotate the hip, producing pain. And that usually suggests that there's um, some inflammatory process in the deep muscle on the lateral wall of the pelvis. And it's quite good for sigmoid diverticulitis.
0: And um, as part of that inspection as well, as I often say to my students, you, you you're looking at the abdominal wall. Um, you can uh, see maybe evidence of trauma if there's been trauma or um, or bruising.
1: Absolutely. Your your Cullen's, your
0: Cullen's your sign and your Grey turner sign. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so useful because um, Grey Turner's is two words. You have two flanks. Cullens is one word, you have one belly button. That's how I tell the difference.
1: Absolutely. And do you know why that happens, Jamie?
0: So that is, uh, it is pooling of blood, retroperitoneal blood. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually can be a sign of... I believe Cullen's first described... So Cullen's and Gray-Turner's is usually discussed in terms of pancreatitis, yeah. but Cullen first described his sign in a lady with an ectopic pregnancy Absolutely. who was having intraabdominal hemorrhaging. Yeah, um, and that
1: seeps into the fascial planes, and that's why you get to draw on the flanks.
0: Yeah. But it could also be, a, so it's a sign of any sort of bleeding. So I, I've seen grey yep. turners in a patient with ruptured triple A, and I've yep. seen it in patients following trauma. So it's, it's, not, it's everybody always says it's pancreatitis, but no. it's not necessarily. But it is, a, it is a bad sign.
1: It's a sign of some intra-abdominal catastrophe, which is, which is what our job is, really.
0: Mm. Is
1: it, it's to manage the undifferentiated patient.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, excellent. So examination i think uh, one of the things that uh, i was a bit confused about when i was a medical student uh, was this idea of guarding mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what voluntary guarding is versus yeah. involuntary guarding yeah. i suppose it's, it's really that the speed of the response isn't it you know how quick uh, the pay- uh, 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 i mean guarding is a is a contraction of the abdominal muscles is That's what it is um, so
1: but let's go on a bit about that, because what I was taught as a um, surgical uh, doctor was that um, there's only one real type of guarding and that's the involuntary kind. Mm. Because what happens with the peritoneal irritation that causes spasm, uh, spasm of your um, uh, abdominal wall musculature, and that gives you the, the guarded, and then what progresses from there is your board-like rigidity. Mm. The voluntary guarding uh, shouldn't really be used. It's just somebody doesn't want to be touched there. Mm. That's all it means, and uh, he's, you know, he he winces, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's intra-abdominal catastrophe there. Because uh, 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 we've seen, those are times when patients get blunt abdominal trauma, which are just superficial bruising, and they wince when you f- feel their tummy. Mm. And it feels like guarding, but it's not really guarding. They are just, you know, mm. pull their muscles together. Mm. So that's the difference. So guarding in a true sense is involuntary.
0: Mm. So the patient has no control over it. Yes. And they can be talking, or like you said, eyes shut or whatever, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you press and it it hurts. (coughs) And you need to remember that if your patient is morbidly obese, it may be more difficult to feel for guarding in those patients.
1: Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Okay um so one one other thing jamie sorry yeah uh so we've just done palpation uh percussion which chest physicians physicians like to do we also do that a bit in the tummy but to be honest the only time i percuss rarely is to get percussion tenderness which is another sign of uh, peri- uh peritonitis or mm. peritoneal irritation mm. um and auscultation well there is a role for auscultation, but you you're not looking, t- you're not listening for you know, five minutes just to hear a bowel sound. All you want to know is are there bowel sounds or is there none? Mm. Um, and the uh, one other thing that we could listen for bowel sounds, but pro- we probably won't pick it up in the emergency department because it's that noisy. is breweries. particularly the elderly who've got uh, mesenteric ischemia. If there's bruise in your mesoteric vessels, it might help with your diagnosis, but you yeah. have to be very clever, and it has to be very quiet.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure the emergency department is ever quiet, Ria. Yeah. Uh,
1: Probably and sp- when I'm singing, it might get quiet. <laughs> Everybody
0: flees. And um, I suppose, you know, we've, we've talked about, uh, about the guarding. Um, we should be wary that um, certain cohorts of patients young and the the elderly in particular may not guard even though yeah, something absolutely. quite serious has gone off in their tummy
1: well done again jamie the fact is that these these quarter patients especially the the elderly who are sometimes uh, unfortunately got uh, advanced dementia can't give a history and they can't tell you if there's pain or not and the pre-verbal child the only response you get out of them is a cry Uh, so that that is particularly difficult and both cohort of patients don't have that uh, amount of musculature to give you a rigid abdomen anyway Mm. so it's very difficult sometimes to pick up an acute abdomen in the elderly
0: so the the royal college of most medicine has put out a warning i think this month based on abdominal pain in the elderly and it said that there is a, a six to eight info- um increase uh, fold. fold risk increase, yeah. uh, increased risk of, of death in the elderly mm. because we feel their something oh it's nice and soft yeah, and absolutely. we send home a, a perforated uh viscous so
1: yeah the other two caveats to that particularly in the elderly are of course we're living longer and that's wonderful but then we also have to deal with the other com comorbidities that these patients have. Most of our elderly population would be some in under with sorry, uh, will have some form of cardiovascular um, compromise, and they will have drugs to regulate that. Particularly and infamously, our beta blockers and our antihypertensives. So if somebody who comes in who's, normally re- who's normal uh, resting blood pressure is 160, turns up with a systolic of 120, he's in shock or mm. she's in shock. Mm. Plus, they, never, they don't want to tachycardia, so <coughs> fixed cardiac output um, physiology. Uh, because they have a fixed cardiac output physiology uh, they don't mount a response as a 25 year old person would so you you sort of miss the boat and their next um, cardiovascular response is not a tachycardia but the inevitable bradycardia
0: Mm. and you can be falsely reassured by that absolutely
1: the other two cohorts of patients as well Immunocompromised patients, patients who are on steroids. Um, the other patients, other cohort of patients that we are seeing more and more now are your immunocompromised patients who are not necessarily on steroids or diabetics but uh, retroviral positive individuals. Mm. They tend to present in very atypical fashions and, and the acute abdomen is no different uh, um, pathology. Mm. They might not have signs or symptoms. They might not mount a, a stress mm. response as the normal individual would. Patients who are on chemotherapy, they, thankfully, they, these uh, th- this cohort of patients are also living longer, but that, that also means that they also present with other things that they wouldn't have done mm. five ten years ago. Uh, so these individuals, we need to... Uh, Sort of have a high index of suspicion when we're dealing with these patients. We talk about the pregnant patient. We haven't talked about the pregnant patient. We yet. should talk about the pregnant patient.
0: So what about if our lady has a pregnancy test and it is found to be positive, and she's coming with abdominal pain?
1: Okay, so that's um that's a particularly difficult patient because. Apart from gynecological problems, you may also have a normal gravid uterus with a surgical problem.
0: Mm.
1: And that's that that is a real problem, and that's why we should have both the surgeons as well as the mm. obson kinet doctors seeing the patients. I mean the first protocol if they're less than I'd say 10 weeks, eight, uh, six to 10 weeks, we have to rule out ectopic pregnancies. Mm. But there are uh, other causes like PID, could be endometriosis, it could be ovarian rupture, it could be ovarian torsion, and then all the surgical causes, appendicitis, sigmoid volvulus cecal-volvulus, you know, um, intra-abdominal perforations
0: As mm. uh, of course remembering um, pregnant ladies get gallstones come, may come in with uh, right upper quadrant pain and, and with a as you said a gravid uterus again a bit of complication
1: yeah is there any other um, pathology you could think of with a gynae cause that gives you right upper quadrant pain
0: the gyne cause It mm. gives you right up a quadrant. Um,
1: Curtis Fitzpugh. Curtis, Curtis
0: Fitzpugh in, in um MPID.
1: absolutely.
0: Thank you. he just shook my hand. Medicine's tricky, isn't it? That's why we do it, Jamie. Yeah, wouldn't do it if it was easy. Okay. So, uh, we've, we've taken uh, our Socrates' history, you, you've done your examination. Um, are there tests that you would think everybody with abdominal pain needs? So, say like everybody with chest pain gets an ECG. What does everybody with abdominal pain need?
1: Mm-hmm. So, another very good question. And the answer is really... There's no specific tests, because I think what we tend to go on mostly... If there are signs in the tummy, then you really need to get a surgeon to uh, have a look at this patient because mm. um, there is something catastrophic going on. If, if I don't care if a white cell is normal. If you've got signs and symptoms of a, um, intra-abdominal catastrophe or peritoneal irritation, I think we duty-bound to get our surgical colleagues to see the patient. Now, obviously, the things that they would like would be things like... A uh, white cell count, mm-hmm. hemoglobin count. case, you know, do they need transfusion before theatre? Platelets to see if you know if there are bleeding risk. Uh, usual LFTs, uh, serum lipase, or in other places amylase. Uh, group and cross match, group and save, and uh, probably a clotting. Mm-hmm. Blood gas is also a nice one, because there's the new rave of. High lactate in intra abdominal catastrophe. You could put my paper on hyperlactatemia, Jamie.
0: Did you write a paper on hyperlactatemia?
1: Yeah, but it was in a different cohort of patients. It was it was the pediatric population, the pediatric cardiac surgical patient. But it's somewhere in the in the ether. Was that done over here or was that back home? It was done. Well, it was done back home in Birmingham. <laughs> and um, what did you find? Uh, we, we found that um high lactate was uh, was actually a cause um was caused by a stress response after cardiac surgery more than sort of cardiovascular Hypervivalenia. collapse Hypervivalenia or anything. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah, uh lactate is very useful if you are worried about perfusion, uh not you know, end organs not gonna be confused or you know ischemic bowel or something like that. Lactate could be very useful. Uh, and the pregnancy test in the female of reproductive age as well. Girls may say, oh, there's absolutely no way I'm pregnant, but you need to check. Uh, When might we think about getting imaging for our patient, and what sort of imaging?
1: So um, imaging should help with um, one diagnosis, but two... um, uh, helps us with uh, what form of intervention are we trying to uh do for our patients? Um, in trauma, you might want to do a full trauma CT scan. Mm. In um, in patients with renal colic, you might want to do a CT abdomen with uh, looking at your ki- kidneys, ureter, bladder. Um, it, but vast majority of cases uh, nowadays you'd probably want a CT. Now having said that, it's quite a high dose of radiation and quite commonly we might want to get plain films first, we might want to get a erect chest mm-hmm. to look for free air underneath the diaphragm.
0: Sensitivity, 80%.
1: Very good. But then that means there's a 20% chance that you, know, you might not pick up something when there's something there.
0: Mm, exactly.
1: Uh, So your chances are
0: 1 in 5. You wouldn't take those odds on a lot of things, would you? Anyway, moving on. Sorry, you were saying.
1: And the abdominal x-ray, which is um, actually not done very much anymore, if I was completely honest, but you're looking for mainly dilated large or small bowel loops. Mm. Uh, Did we? I showed you one this weekend, didn't I? The yeah. one with uh, the large bowel, the small bowel loops with um. Wrigler sign. Yes, absolutely. It was quite classic and okay. right. So um, yes. Yeah, so, so the
0: the abdo film is really useful if you're worried about obstruction, basically, yeah, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely. Yeah. With the proviso that, okay, if it's if the bowel loops are full of air, they will show up on an X-ray, but with fluid, not necessarily. Absolutely. So just because the film is all right, if they yeah. are clinically obstruction, yeah. they are still obstructed.
1: Yeah. And the the other thing is many me many many years ago when I was a wee lad, we did erect abdominal films looking at fluid levels, but that doesn't that that's not done anymore. Mm. I suppose yeah, your erect chest X-ray
0: uh, always worth remembering. If you are doing it, you need to sit your patient up, and they need to be a good ten twenty minutes and being sat up because you want the air there to be rising up to the top. Sounds like uh, Eye of the Tiger, doesn't it? Anyway, we won't sing it.
1: So then, what the, the, pr- the problem, though, with a lot of these imaging is they're very much inconclusive a lot of times, and you still have to get further imaging, mm. i.e. a CT scan of the abdomen, which may or may not involve contrast. Mm-hmm. Contrast is, as we are well aware, um, could be quite nephrotoxic, particularly all the patients we see who are elderly, who are now f- uh, fluid depleted... And who have some form of AKI on board because they're third spacing in their gut from their peritonitis. But we still need to know, they need to have some imaging so we could come up with a plan. Such as? Do we take this patient to theatre? Well, do our surgical colleagues take this patient to theatre? Or do we just treat with some antibiotics, drip and suck, triple therapy, put them on a surgical ward to be looked after? or is it not it's a non-surgical problem and they need to go to the medical team mm.
0: so so far we've been talking really about the the stable patient i think we should we should take a moment just to talk about somebody who's hemodynamically unstable absolutely uh and our management of our patient there so i mean this is one of our top differentials for anybody coming with collapse anybody in hemodynamic collapse would be something like a triple A. Oh, you could have uh, an elderly patient who has perforated and has got uh, huge intra-abdominal sepsis uh, and is, you know, uh, very unwell. That way, um, we need to we need to resuscitate these patients as well, and and that that takes the priority almost over the history taking initially, doesn't it? Because yeah, we need absolutely,
1: to. absolutely, and then you might these patients could end up anywhere in your department. So you got to pick them out. Yeah, absolutely, and that's not always an easy thing because we are looking after the undifferentiated patient, Jamie.
0: Mm. We have not differentiated them yet. No. So you're going to want access to these patients, aren't you? You're going to want it's the A to E approach. Mm-hmm. You're going to want the fluid, resuscitate them, absolutely, antibiotics if you're worried about infection and pain relief. Yes. Now. This is something that I often encounter, is the patient who decides not to take any pain relief before coming to hospital because yeah. of wanting to mask, not w- not wanting to mask anything. Um, but if a patient's in pain, they need pain relief, don't they?
1: Yeah, plus you don't mask their signs. No. Um, loads of uh, studies. and. So there has out been one or two. a Cochrane review, review that yeah. says
0: that morphine has no effect on hiding uh, peritonism. Absolutely, and the
1: signs are still there. The signs are no still reason. there and should not
0: be withheld before Absolutely. examining the patient. So give your patient morphine. Please, but
1: not too much. Not too much, but, but give them pain relief. Absolutely. And now we've got IV paracetamol, which is quite a handy drug as well. Mm. And I'd probably stay away from the NSAIDs, please, because if they've got an ulcer um, which is poofed, I don't want you to extend that ulcer. Thanks.
0: Uh, so we're giving our patient antibiotics, fluid resuscitation. Um, if we're suspecting a bleed, we're going to we're going to cross match them, aren't we? Consider O negative if they are really unwell. Yeah. Okay.
1: If it's a catastrophic bleed, you might want to put all that massive hemorrhage protocol.
0: Mm. And what what's what's involved in that?
1: Well, different trusts. You'd have to read your. Um, Your guidelines, depending on what trust you're in, but every trust should have a massive transfusion protocol available, and it usually involves um, giving um, uncross-matched blood initially, Mm. which is all negative, and then you get uh, group-specific blood, as well as other blood products, such as your FFPs, platelets. I believe it's a ratio of one-to-one now, isn't it, Jamie? I believe so. And you could add things like um, calcium. We could give calcium in a lot of these patients as well. It h- helps with um, neo-clotting. Excellent. Excellent. Hmm.
0: And um, if our patient is nauseated, if they're vomiting, yeah. an IV antiemetic is useful. Yeah. At um, least something like ondansetron uh, or cyclazine, probably not something mm. like metoclopramide, which increases your gastric mm. emptying I'd probably stay away
1: from the cyclosine as well, because it could give you a tachycardia, and then we're worried, is this... Because they become hemodynamically compromised, or is it mm. drug related? So, you so would, I think you stick I'll to stick to Ondansetron. On okay. I have no shares in that
0: company, by the way. <laughs> the Ondansetron company. And very, very important, nil by mouth. Uh, yes. Nil
1: by mouth. Nil by mouth, yeah.
0: You do not and want to be the, but, but the doctor who. Uh, but who it's fed not the, the doctor. Patient.
1: Sometimes they've. they've uh, relatives who are just as worried as they are want to feed them because mm. they've not had anything to eat all day. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. And so it's important to remember these. If you are worried about intraabdominal sepsis, that is still sepsis. So remember your sepsis six as well as as necessary. So mm. cultures, yeah, catheter, etc., etc. Et
1: so we've given them pain relief. We've given them IV fluids. I must must say your choice of IV fluids. Um, particularly the crystalloid would be? I'd probably use normal saline. I probably will stay away from um, Hartman's, which has potassium in it, because a lot of these patients might have AKIs and have some form of hyperkalemia as well. So I think saline is a safer mm. option. Mm. Um, I don't have any evidence based on that one though. It's called common sense. Yeah, so it's really important we speak to our patients as well and communicate. I mean, far too often they, we uh, we don't actually tell our patients what's happening and it's good to inform uh, both the patient as well as the relatives as to what is happening mm-hmm. um, be- because they are pretty scared. Mm-hmm. And it could be quite a scary, nerve-wracking time for them. So it's always good to... Um, keep the communication going with our patients. Mm. And sometimes that means helping our surgical colleagues with explaining what the procedures are
0: Mm. or
1: what it might entail. Mm. We might need to get the anaesthetist
0: down, for example.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, you might need to get other healthcare professionals. You might need to get the um, intensive care doctors, the anaesthetists. You might even have to get uh, chest physiotherapy to help manage a chest before a opera- major operation. So,
0: uh, I think we've come to the end of this uh, podcast talking about uh, abdominal pain generally. Uh, we're then going to go do uh, some case presentations with you all. So, say thank you very much for coming, uh, Riyadh. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Would you like to have me back?
0: I would love to have you back. Shall we? Just, you know, press stop on this and then just record and do another podcast. Shall we do it like that? But it'll be in two separate podcasts.
1: (laughs) No problem. We'll
0: do it like that. Bye, listener. Say bye, Riyadh.
1: Say bye, Riyadh. Bye.
0: That was the Take Orally Acute Abdomen podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned. And you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine, and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.